Well, like we said, we're continuing today in Family Strong, Part 6. Today we're talking about the family of God. If you do not have a Bible with you, I'd like a couple of you to make uh, a Bible available and uh, just give them a wave uh, and they'll get them to you. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. Family Strong, the family of God. I've got, um, I don't know how many of you love uh, getting your family portraits done. Who loves family portraits? Some of you. Who, who really would rather not? Thank you. Um, it's horrendous when we've tried to do that with our extended family. We really didn't even bother with our immediate family very much because it's just not worth it. Um, but I got I grabbed a few pictures from uh, awkwardfamilyphotos.com that you'll you'll enjoy. This family um, they like ducks apparently, and uh, so they went all out with uh, duck costume, duck sweatshirts. Um, you can be thankful that your family is not like this next one. A little. A little nerdy or a little odd. Um, apparently, the dad was uh, into doing clowns, clowning stuff for birthday parties, and dressed the whole family up in clown suits and went to Walmart to get the pictures taken. That you do not want to be in that family. That family is weird. The next family, they're a little more fun. They're nerds, but you know, some of you women are like, "Oh, I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to have my picture taken." Well, if you wore a Darth Vader suit, it wouldn't be a problem, right? So uh, I don't know why mom's Darth Vader and then dad's Chewbacca, but um, you know, the pilot in the bottom looks pretty, pretty serious with his lightsaber and and so on. Um, what a great picture! But my all-time favorite awkward family photo is this next one at the beach, which was meant to be like this nice, heartwarming picture where they're swinging the kids and then uh, the baby is going to land on his head and it looks like mom will then land on the baby. Um, this did not end well, I can guarantee, but I'm so proud of the photographer for not only catching it, but making it available to all of us to enjoy. <laughs> Isn't that great? Family. Family. That word means different things to different people, doesn't it? Uh, there's your immediate family with whom you live now or with whom you grew up. Uh, your extended family, those cousins and aunts and uncles you saw either hardly ever or maybe you saw them often. Um, you know, the extended family on my, my Weeb side stays in touch now with a Facebook page that we call We Belong. <laughs> Weeb and belong, we belong. So um, it's great. I'm reconnecting with cousins that I haven't seen or had any contact with in decades. Uh, it was a pretty big family, so that's that's been a lot of fun. Uh, maybe you, rather than your immediate family or your own biological family, you prefer your work family or your softball family. Uh, some uh, are family by adoption, so a choice to be family. Some are, you know, a family because you married and now you've got a blended family. Um, you know, some of you have lost parts of your family or members of your family, maybe even your own children or your own grandchildren by by divorce. Uh, and that um, is hard. So for some people, the idea of family is like nothing but like, oh, I love my family, just warm fuzzies all over. And for others, family is like, ah, uh, this is hard. Like there's there's some disappointment and pain, some heartache associated with that. No family is perfect. And I, I would say no family is even normal, really. Um, whatever normal is, uh, every family is at least a little bit crazy, a little bit dysfunctional. Why? Because it's made up of imperfect people, imperfect moms and dads and imperfect brothers and sisters, except for the lastborns. Um, we're basically flawless. But for everyone else, 
there's problems. And that's why families aren't perfect. There's three lastborns in our family, our immediate family of four. So, you know, it's a little lopsided. Um, not that all the problems are to blame on you, son, but... Um, <laughs> no. You know, there's another family we're going to talk about today. And this family is also not perfect. But this family has a perfect father and a perfect older brother. And if you're a believer in Jesus, the good news is that you're part of a family. And God is our good, holy, perfect father, the family of God. So if you've got your Bible open to 1 John chapter 2, uh, I want to take that in together. Uh, let's stand together as you find that. 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 7. Starting at verse 7. If you're new to the Bible, 1 John is way near the end. Don't get it confused with John that has no like number in front of it. Just There's regular John and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Written by the same guy who's a follower of Jesus. One of the closest disciples of Jesus. He's the disciple that he could refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because he understood that that was what was important. To know that you're loved by the Savior. So that's John, and now he's writing uh, to the churches. And he writes this in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 7. He says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Right? Because it's what Jesus had taught them. Yet, it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. Verse 9. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light, and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Verse 12. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith, or you fathers, because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith, or young men, it says literally, because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith, you fathers, because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith, or you young men, because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts, and you have won your battle with the evil one. Verse 15 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. Uh, pardon me. Let's go back to verse 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Let's take a seat together. We thank the Lord for His Word this morning. Now, when would you say family is at its 
at its best. What do you, what do you think? What, 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 when you, what, what's happening when you think, ah, oh, family's working good? Just getting some sleep when the kids are sleeping through the night. Yeah, that was a good step. What else? What makes family work? Meal times or eating together. Yeah, what else? Vacations, having some fun together, spending extra time together, relaxing, right? Going for a swim, doing all those good things, right? They're helping each other. Families at its best when they're communicating properly, when they're getting along, when they're forgiving one another, when they're not trying to control each other or meddle in each other's business. Some of us moms and dads need a little more help than that than others, don't we? Um, we're working on it. We're learning. You know... As natural families, we're not always at our best. I, I've performed a lot of funerals, and um, occasionally I've been warned by family members about potential family problems. Uh, I've been told stuff like this. Uh, just so you know, uh, we're not really sure what to expect at the funeral because, well, my brother didn't get along with dad. Or I've, or, or I've heard this one. Um, so my dad's ex-wife might show up, and we're not really sure what's going to happen. Wow. Oh, one, I was warned that they expected a fist fight was going to break out. And they said, but we've got some people here to break it up if that happens. <gasps> wow. And that wasn't like bikers or anything. I mean, it was like ordinary family. It's pretty extreme, but that's what happens when egos and unforgiveness in families runs unchecked. Creates all kinds of problems. Well, the family of God is meant to be different. Right? In the family of God, we can't hold grudges and hatred toward one another and unforgiveness and just pretend everything's okay. John here says that anyone who does that is living in darkness. Ever tried to get around in the dark? Ever had a power outage in your house? Or, uh, you know, you maybe, maybe you stayed at someone else's house or you stayed in a hotel and you get up in the night and you're all disoriented and you're bumping into stuff because it's dark. There's problems. You'll, you'll run into trouble in the darkness. He, John's not saying that you're not saved, but he is saying that in the dark you stumble. And you cause others to stumble, to fall down, to get hurt, to miss the truth of Jesus. We're not to be like that. We're meant to be in the light. To love and to love each other. And so if you're following in your outline this morning, this is the first line in there, the first point in there, is that the family of God is unlike the world and it's because of love. The family of God is unlike the world, and it's because of love. Now, it might be easy, I think even tempting, to take this somewhat lightly. right? We might say something like, well, I don't hate that guy. I just can't stand it when he's around. Well, right? Or, well, I don't hate her. I just don't like her. Well, or, or this one. Well, we had some conflict, and you know, we didn't resolve it, but we just avoid the topic now, and it's fine. No, no that, that's not it. And that's not living in the light. See, we don't realize in those moments that we're still walking around in the dark and tripping ourselves up. Instead, John reminds us that we're a family who love one another. Now, love means, what is love? Love is to put aside my preferences for the benefit of another. Love is to put aside kind of my first choices um, so that others can go ahead of me. Love means I can let people be imperfect. Love means... We stop identifying people by how they're different from us. 
right? And instead we see them as a real person as they really are. It is honestly a great testimony when someone finds relationships in the church to be different than in their home or in their workplace, right? The best testimony, I think, is when an unbeliever is exposed to Christians who actually really truly love one another, who, who are kind, who, who don't cut each other down with sarcasm, who, who speak in a caring kind of voice, who accept and embrace outsiders, who take time to listen and not just talk. When people can experience family unlike their own home family and work family, they can't help but notice and wonder what it's all about. Now, that doesn't mean to say we always have to or even get to share all our junk openly all the time in this family. Um, there's times and places for that. Occasionally, someone you know, has, has looked at the church and said, Oh, I could never be part of your church. You guys are all perfect. You all look so perfect. And everybody's got it all together and I don't. Well, come on. It's pretty obvious. Well, at least if you look at my life, it should be pretty obvious that I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. And I think we know that. But you do need some places to be real. Some places where you can open up and be yourself. Right? Some, that's why connection groups are so crucial for us. So that there's places where you can be yourself and, and even expose others to those places where you where you have needs, where you need help. Especially, they help to grow spiritually, which opens up the next point. So the family of God is unlike the world because of love. But the next point is that in the family of God, we must help each other grow. Now, in the verses, I read verses um, 12 to 14 already, but I'm going to reread them on screen from the New International Version, and there, there's a reason why. You know that I love... New Living Translation, particularly if you're newer to, to reading Scripture, it's so readable and understandable. The, the downside is um, New Living tends to, uh, it's because it's what they call a kind of a phrase-by-phrase translation, it tends to help solve some of the mystery of Scripture, explain some of the metaphors a little too much sometimes, and this might be one of those places where they, they, they sort of explained it more for us and take a little of the poetry out of it. So I'm going to reread uh, from the NIV and uh, see if you can really kind of catch his, his, um, his movement here in, as he speaks. John writes this I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the Word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. So you see, in this movement, there's two sets of threes here, right? The children, the fathers, the young men. Children, fathers, young men. What's John trying to communicate here? Well, he's not only speaking about males, but you've got to understand, in this context, a couple thousand years ago, teaching was directed toward the men and the boys in the fellowship. But there's some deeper principles here. When you think about children, children are, are the vulnerable ones in, in life, right? They've, they come into, into family, they've been born, they're being raised, but they're, they can't take the world on 
by themselves yet. They, they need guidance and care and provision. So they have life, but they need help to grow. So that's children. Fathers, the fathers are to guide and care and protect and provide for their children. Fathers who do this well really set their kids up for success in life. Children who didn't, on the other hand, get good care or guidance or protection from dads are not less capable or less valuable as a person, but honestly, they're going to have a tougher hill to climb in life. Uh, John Eldridge, who writes a number of great books, talks about it as the father wound. When you as a child did not kind of receive that care, direction, provision, guidance from your dad, you have, you're going to have a little more of a tougher time because you're going to have to find it from other places. And we all have that because none of us had a perfect dad. And none of us dads are perfect. And then there's young men. Young men, well, what's unique about young men? They have a need to stretch out and to test their strength and sort of, you know, they're, they're finding their way in their life. They're, uh, you know, maybe discovering that they have even more ability than they thought they had, more ability than they realized. They, they're pushed to do that. That's why coaches push, you know, their athletes to, to discover what's already there in them and to draw that out. Okay, so we've got the children, the fathers, and the young men. Spiritually then, children are the newly saved in the church family. They're not yet mature, right? They, they need help to grow. Fathers are those with experience in their walk with Christ and the maturity to care for and guide and protect and provide for the spiritually young. On the young men, that resembles those men and women who are maturing in their walk with Christ but who need to be reminded sometimes that the spiritual battle is not theirs to win. Listen to this. The spiritual battle is not theirs to win because it's already been won in Christ. They need to, they need to, to be reminded of that. It's already theirs. They've already overcome the evil one, John says. And now they're learning to make that truth real in their lives. Okay, so there's a, there's a progress here. Verses through these 12, 13, and 14. It's this. First you come to know salvation. Okay, that's referring to children. Then you come to know victory. That's those who are maturing. And then you get to know your Savior. And that's the fathers. Like it's one thing to know that you're saved. It's one thing to know your identity in Christ. and to know that you have victory in Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a final mature step to know the Savior. To really... Know Jesus personally. To have that interacting level. Children, young men and fathers. Um, because you're not done when you prayed you know, a prayer of faith to receive Jesus as your Savior. That's, the, that's just the start. The Christian who... Okay, so if you stay there, the Christian who never matures is like a child who never grows up. And that person tends to be miserable and... Defeated and ineffective and discouraged a lot because they're not maturing. They're not growing up in their faith. So you who are young and young in the faith, right? Or those of you who are maturing in the faith, you've been at this for a while, you need to know that you are in a family. You're not on your own. You're not an individual in this. You're in a family, the family of God, and you're growing in that family. And just as a child grows and takes more responsibility in the home, right? A child growing up takes on more chores and they, they add, you know, different levels of responsibility they participate just as a child does that so you as those of you who are young in the faith you're growing up and you're taking on your place in the family of god 
Now, men of faith, you spiritual fathers, and I would include mothers here too, but particularly you men, we need you to step up and lead us spiritually. We need your guidance. We need you to disciple us. We need you to show us what it means to have faith and courage, what it means to have sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and to listen and follow. Men, we need you to talk to us about how you read the Bible and how you follow it. We need you to, to show us how you seek the Lord and seek His wisdom. and You're becoming wise and that you men of, and women too of spiritual years of spiritual maturity, we need you to lead us spiritually. We need the fathers to father us. One of the steps, and we're going to talk about kind of steps of growth, particularly those who are young and maturing in the faith, one of the first essential steps is baptism. If you're a believer in Jesus, but you've not been baptized... As the Bible teaches baptism, if you've not been baptized, I honestly, I'm just being candid here, I struggle to understand your hesitation. I really do. Because the Bible doesn't say, you know, baptism's a good idea if you feel ready for it. Or the baptism's a good idea, you know, if, uh, you know, if it's your own idea and you fully understand it. You know, the, the Bible doesn't say, you know, it's a good suggestion to get baptized. If, you know, and if, if you don't really feel it, that's okay. The Bible doesn't say that. Baptism is not optional for a believer. It's one of the simple commands in Scripture. Be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, of course. Baptism is a a command for you who have already been saved. You know, the first and best instruction we have, I think, on baptism is happens in the early church when Peter preaches at Pentecost. So Peter, this disciple who had followed Jesus, this loudmouth fisherman who made all these claims about how faithful he was going to be to Jesus, he gets to that moment of, 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 of crisis when Jesus is arrested and he has the opportunity to say, yes, that's my Lord. And he says, I don't even know him. And he repeatedly denies Jesus, his Savior. He's crushed and just broken inside. And Jesus restores Peter to relationship. That's the Peter who, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in power and there's the sounds of rushing wind and people see tongues of fire and, and people are speaking in tongues and all these believers, he's have this amazing dramatic things going on and people are like, oh, what's going on? And that's the Peter that gets up and preaches the sermon. That first sermon of the church. It's the birthday of the church, the very first sermon. Peter preaches a great long sermon and he, he's quoting from the Old Testament and he's talking about Jesus and he gets to the end of it and then and people say how what do we do how do we respond to this and peter says this each of you must repent and be baptized and you receive the gift of the holy spirit and this promise is for you and everyone else that's going to come after you repent and be baptized peter teaches and so that day three thousand people were baptized and added to the church which tells me somebody was keeping track Somebody was keeping track. So that's kind of the next step. So first of all, be baptized. If you're a believer in Jesus and you've not been baptized, you can talk to Pastor Stephen about that uh, because we want to help you through that initial step. Don't let yourself be stunted in your, in your growth and opportunities by refusing to be baptized. And then the next thing that happened there was this keeping track. Today we do it through a process of church membership. Now the Bible does not say, Thou shalt become a member of thy church. 
It's nowhere in scripture. You won't find it. But membership is kind of the way you say, I identify with this church family. I belong here. Um, you, you know, it's, it, it, I would say it this way. If it, it means that if you believe in Jesus and you're following him and you've been baptized and you agree with what we teach, generally what we teach and what we believe and what we practice here at Bethany Church, we'd want you to become a member here. We need you to become a member here. We need you to belong. It's an important part of being a family, both here at Bethany and globally, is to say, I have a formal way of identifying. I have a formal way of identifying with my natural family. I have a birth certificate that has my name on it. And I say, ah, I'm in that family. I'm listed in family tree books that show where I came from. There's a formal way. I don't just say, I'm going to be part of Matt Colbert's family now. I'm not really related by blood or name or anything, but, you know, I'm going to adopt myself in your family. It doesn't work that way. Right? I have a family, and it's the same way in the family of God. And we, the, the practice in the local church is membership. So I would say don't overthink it. It's not, it's not difficult. It's an easy and obvious thing to do. Um, for us here, we have you attend a two or three hour, or a two hour class and share your testimony with a small group of people and say, I'm in. We'd love for you to be a membership, a, a member and go through that process. And just one more comment about baptism. If you feel like, oh, I'm too old to be baptized. I waited too long and I'm going to be embarrassed if I'm baptized. Cause, well, maybe you think nobody knows I didn't get baptized. And I'll be embarrassed if my friends find out. They think that I'm baptized, but I've never been baptized. I'm just going to tell you right now. Do you really think your friends would judge you for waiting? They might scold you a little, but they sure would celebrate and rejoice with you. Don't, don't, don't let that fear of what somebody's going to say be an obstacle. That's just pride getting in your way. The Bible teaches it simply. Repent and be baptized. Go for it. Do it. We'd love to help you with that. All that to say that the family of God is here to help you grow and mature spiritually. Don't fall for the lie that this is just between you and Jesus. Right? The spiritual life is a communal life. You choose individually to follow Jesus. That's true. It's a personal decision whether or not you're going to follow Christ. But we follow him together in community. Together. Right? So the new believers, the mature believers... The maturing believers coming of age together were following him in this family. If you were to ask me what does success look like at Bethany Church, I'd say this. That the lost are being saved, that the saved are being discipled, and that the discipled are fulfilling the great commission to preach the gospel and make more disciples. That's what Jesus was doing. Seeking the lost, right? helping those found ones grow, and then sending them out. To make more disciples. Okay, well, why does all this matter? You see it again in verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God, who does the will of God, will live Forever. I put it this way. The family of God will outlast the world. If you're following along the outline, the family of God will outlast the world. John says, you know, this, 
The world offers craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements. Literally, in the, in the, if you kind of go back into the, the Greek text, it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We naturally want whatever feels good, whatever looks good, and whatever we think is going to make us seem important to others. That's naturally what we want. It's not even necessarily stuff, you know, things that we're after. It's just that the world tempts us to live selfishly. Just do it your way. Who cares what anybody else wants, what anybody else thinks? Just do it your way. And they can all figure it out in the wake of your, of your, of your, of your life. Spending all our time and thoughts and energy, just me first. That's what, that's the way of the world that John's warning against. But the way of the world will not offer because it will not last. All that I achieve or accomplish, um, you know, or acquire will one day and one day soon mean absolutely nothing. Zero, zilch, nada. All my achievements and accomplishes, accomplishments won't, won't add up to anything. But those, he says, those who do what pleases God, those who do God's will, will live forever. Jesus said this about God's will in John 6. He said, it's my Father's will that all who see His Son, that's Jesus, all who see His Son and believe in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. That's God's will, is to believe in Jesus. Jesus said that whoever does God's will is his family. Literally, his mothers and his brothers and his sisters, that's who his family is, those who do God's will. When you believe in Jesus and are doing his will, you're in his family. The family of God is important to me because it's an eternal family. Uh, my natural family is, is awesome. I'm super blessed. Uh, but in eternity, my wife won't be my wife. My kids won't be my kids, Right? Uh, my parents won't be my parents. We'll have a new existence and new relationships in a new heaven and a new earth. It's all going to change. And this will be the family. So I'm thankful that you are my family. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And that's why, as Paul taught the Ephesians, therefore submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Come under each other's direction. Let each other... You know, love one another in that way. Submit to one another. We're family. Now, admitting quite honestly that in this family, not it's not always easy to be in this family of God, right? Some people in this family will rub you the wrong way. Um, I, I might be one of those because, as someone once said, we're all somebody's porcupine. We are all somebody's porcupine. Uh, but if you think this is way too much effort, I'm going to remind you with one last thought it's in your outline in that this is that the family of God is only possible because of Christ the family of God is only possible because of Christ let me read these three slides to you from Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and to 18 Uh, the writer to the Hebrews says this because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. 
Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Look, we're called to be the family of God, but you and I could never, ever become like God and join the family. We couldn't adopt ourselves into God's family. Children don't create the family. They don't adopt parents. It's the other way around. We don't have God's DNA the way, you know, you have your dad's DNA. But instead, what happened? Jesus took on our DNA so that, you know, but by becoming a human being so that we could join the family. Jesus joined our family so that we could join his family. Jesus became like us so we could become like him. That's what the writer to Hebrews is saying. And so that in doing so, we can actually love one another because it's not us doing it, it's Christ in you that makes that possible. I have, I have two older brothers. And when I was a kid, um, generally for the most part, they were, they were good brothers. And uh, I looked up to them a lot. Because that's what little brothers do, and that's what younger siblings do. We look up to our older brothers. If you're in the family of God by trusting in Jesus, I want you to know you, you're a younger brother to Jesus, or a younger sister to Jesus. Jesus is your older brother. And younger siblings look up to older brothers to copy him, to get his help and protection. And this is the only way the family of God can function, by trusting and following and copying Jesus, the older brother. You can't make it happen. You cannot make it happen because Jesus already made it happen. Because he is not only your older brother, but according to Hebrews, he's also your high priest representing you before God the Father. And he lives in you by the Holy Spirit so that by faith you are also in Christ. So Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And if that's true for each one, then it becomes much easier and it makes much more sense to be the family of God together. It's a win all the way around. Look, three just sort of simple questions as we, as we wrap up. One is this, are you in the family? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ to know him, to be forgiven of your sin and be adopted by faith into the family of God? If, you, if you're not sure or, or you want to do that, uh, you talk to talk to me after the service, and I will help you through that. Secondly, are you are you growing as a family? Are you a, ch- a child or a maturing believer? Are you taking steps to grow, or are you just stagnant as a child who's not growing up? Are you growing? Are you learning to read the Bible? Are you learning to pray? Are you learning to fellowship? Are you learning to give? Are you learning to si- serve? And then the third thing is, are you Helping others to grow. Remember what I said about fathers. We need you to father us. Are you helping others to grow? You can always help someone who's not quite as far along as you. Wherever stage you're at, you can always help someone else. And you can always be helped by someone who's, who's gone further down the track than you have. So are you in the family? Are you growing? And are you helping others grow? Let's pray. God, we're grateful that we have today. We're grateful that... We are um, at, your, at your mercy and that you're a merciful God. We thank you for your great power that we saw last night in the storm. We thank you for your great protection. We thank you that you, most of all, are our Father. And you're a good, good Father. 
And so we just say today, we're grateful to be in your family or have the opportunity to be in your family. And Lord, for anyone today that has not yet come to that place of trusting you to be forgiven and adopted into a family, I ask God that today you would grant them the gift of faith to believe in you. Lord, for those that have made a start with you but have have just never really progressed very far. God, I pray that today you would give them that desire to grow, to mature, to be nourished in you. And then, Lord, for those that are further along the track, God, would you give them the the courage to step up and lead others, to, to be a father to those of us who need help to grow. I thank you for this family. For all its imperfection, Lord, we love it, and we thank you that We have a perfect father and a perfect older brother. We give you our praise in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.